0: Hello. We're back again. Um, as you will, well, you won't know yet unless you're watching it, but we're back to a gruesome twosome. Robbo is, I mean, we think he's got COVID. He says he hasn't got COVID. Uh, Eugene thinks that he's got a test that he got two and a half years ago, and so that's why it's not working. But um, he sounds a bit like Darth Vader, um, and so he's evidently not very well. Um However, what did cheer him up was, I don't know if everybody's seen it yet, but on our Instagram today, I shared the photos from that crazy night out in South Africa with Robbo and his uh, spray-on Caprice T-shirt, amongst other things. So go and check that out if you haven't yet seen it. Um, tonight, um, I, it's just Eugene and I. Eugene, are you, mate? Yeah, very good, mate. By the
1: way, COVID test didn't exist two and a half years ago, so uh, I'm just, again, you know, factually, you need to be correct. But look, we, we really hope Robbo um is okay and he is um he is on the mend i mean he very well might have man flu because you know i'm told that once you've had man flu every woman will understand what it's like um to give birth so you know i'm, I'm told that those two are, are similar are similar um you know experiences to go
0: through yeah yeah i can't i couldn't agree more mate to be honest uh, i've had man flu and it is awful um I fully expect to get a serious bout of it when I get back from Spain because it's still 24 degrees here and apparently at home it is miserable. So uh, we shall see. We shall see. Anyway, we've got loads coming up tonight. We've got an unbelievable interview. We've just recorded with uh, Mark Curtin, who's the CEO from the Lords Taverners. Um, Obviously, the three of us... um, the extension of Woodstock are are incredibly fond of the tabs. We do a huge amount of work with them. It's an interview that we've been trying to line up for ages and and the way Mark talks about the charity and what they do, like, please listen to it. It is, by getting involved and those of you who have already donated three pounds once or twice or more, like it it will just make you understand the difference that you make, not only to the kids, to the charity, but to the families and parents of those kids that actually go through these programs. So, um, do give it a listen. Like you, it, it was just phenomenal just to sit here with him for 30 or 40 minutes and listen to him talk about that the way he did. Um, and so passionately, the way he speaks about the Taverners
1: is just unbelievable, yeah. especially yeah. considering, you know, he's had so many high-profile jobs prior to the Taverners. He's come into it, and he yeah. speaks so elegantly and, and passionately about the Taverners. So absolutely with
0: you, Jono, one of those ones that's uh, a, a one not to miss. 100%. Uh, just loves sport, doesn't he? Like, and I think his background is... You know, really interesting because people see CEOs of, you know, big charities or big corporations, oh, they must have had a privileged upbringing. Well, absolutely not in this case. Like, it is, yeah. It's is—it's just a brilliant listen. So um, yeah. other things we're going to cover off, ManCad very quickly. Well, we have our opinions, but we've kind of missed the boat. We're a bit late to the party on that. We were going to discuss it last week, but Robbo was on call, so we couldn't record. Uh, we've got a listener um, email. This was in response to something that huge and... Robbo were talking about last, on the last episode, about ticket pricing, um, which is going to be really interesting. But we're going to wait to um, to discuss that with Robbo and you when Robbo's back. However, he did send in a very funny cricketing story. So we will talk about that tonight. Um, ECB contracts we are going to mention um, and what's going on with that. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of mixed messaging again from the ECB. Uh, so Huge and I will try and hash that out, see what we make of it. Uh, and then, obviously, in Australia versus England in the warm up series. So, and and we're going to announce
1: the cricket draft. So we're doing a T Twenty fantasy league. That's going to be for the T Twenty World Cup. We'll be sending a whole bunch of information about that. So we'll be announcing that. So keep in, you know, keep listening if you want to hear exactly how to get involved and what prizes will be available.
0: Yeah. So Eugene told me not five minutes ago that Woodstock will be responsible for supplying the prizes. So um, perfect. Great! <laughs> See what I did there. See what I did there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So right on we go. So Mancad, um, we have missed about on it. Everybody's kind of had the say. We kind of talked about it offline a little bit. I hate it. Like, and listening to tailenders and Jimmy talking about it. And this is, I think, where my point of view is with it. At no point, and I'm 39. I'll be 40 in January. But, you know, we're a similar age. We've both been playing cricket for such a long time, and I think it's. Maybe it's not a generational thing but in all the cricket I've ever played I would never consider doing it and I wouldn't I, I don't feel I've ever been part of a team that would see it as acceptable to do that as a as a dismissal within cricket I just think it's the lowest of the low
1: Yeah and and I think it depends I 100% agree I think it's got to do with a demographic and an age thing or experience if we want to be politically correct um Also, I found out after having these conversations for the past year, year and a half of, of or run out as it's now called, as they've changed the rules. I also think it depends on which region of the world you come from, because, you know, in, in India, as an example, it's a perfectly good way to get out at any stage. And they've been doing it for years and years, which, which when it happened to the England woman versus, and, and obviously it was done by the Indian woman, it made no surprise to India and it was a perfectly legitimate way. However, you know, us being, you know, the the, the sort of the, the people that talk about it and look at it, and we were up in arms. Now, firstly, it's a shit way to end a game because it just sort of petered out. It was like, well, are you really doing that? But at the same stage, you know, India only wanted to win that game. You know, opportunity at Lords to get a win under the belt. Will you do anything? Well, in their case, when you look at, you know, where they come from and, and how, how easy it is and how – unfrowned upon it is within India, it's a normal dismissal. It's exactly like getting bold. Actual fact you don't even have to appeal. You know, it's it's a well known dismissal in India where it's not so well known here, which is why it's raised so much, you know, controversy and so many questions from a lot of people.
0: Yeah, and it look that is a that is a debate that will rumble on and on and on and on. And you know, as much as you and I can What's control, your take on it? You said no, right?
2: You <laughs> yeah said I'm,
0: no. A, I'm a big no. I'm a big no. I just I just I, I just see it as underhand um, I, my view on that particular dismissal, and I wrote a big piece, I wrote a piece on, not a piece, but a load of comments on this, um, I can't remember if it was on Facebook or something, but I'm all about, over a period of time, right, you and I both bat, top order batters, right, um, subconscious, you face a nut, over a period of your cricketing life journey. You, you basically judge line and length on the first probably two yards of release and then your subconscious takes over and then you play a shot that you have been kind of pre-worked to play because you, you don't watch the ball all the way. It's impossible, especially at pace. So your natural reactions take over. Same as I think you, are, you have a, a predetermined um, kind of sense, if you like, of depending on what type of bowler they are based on their run-up, when you would expect the ball to be delivered and therefore in play. I still think that Charlie Dean was either in or very, very close to being in her ground at that point at which she would have expected Deepti Sharma to release the ball in any normal full-paced delivery action, Okay, That, me, suggests that therefore it's not out. Because she then stops, Charlie Dean looks like she's three yards down the pitch. Well, of course she is because that's what backing up is. And that at any level of cricket, from when you've been seven or whatever, you're taught to back up and back up properly. So by the point that the bowler releases the ball, you should be just in your ground. But as soon as that, then you try and advance down the wicket. You're not looking at the bowler. You have to be looking at your opposite number at the striking end, fact, the the batsman batter facing, in order to see, you know, to, to be able to um, adjust and react to what happens once they've, made contact with the ball. If they do make contact with the ball, as quickly as possible in order to try and score runs. That's the point of the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Look, there's a lot of grey area here. A there huge is, area. I'll, I'll give you my take on it. Um, I'm with you on it. I don't like
1: it. However, it's becoming so fashionable now, I think about it from my own cricketing point of view. First of all, um, I might be... I, I'm not the quickest between the wickets, right? So you try and gain as much advantage as you can. I'm not saying that you're cheating, but you might be taking a couple of yards more than you should. Um, given that this has become so fashionable now, instead of having to watch the batsman belting a ball back at me when you're at the other end as an example, I now have to concentrate on the bowler for a bit longer, which means, Mm. yeah, it means a little more concentration. But from my perspective, look, it's fashionable, so therefore I'm going to pay a lot more attention. And I think all of our listeners will too because it's become so fashionable. So just stay in your crease. You know, if you stay in your crease that second longer, there might be more runouts now because you're actually not backing up as far. But look, I think I think I think what it is is it's done now. We've learnt our lesson. Well, I hope we've learned our lesson. And if people do get run out, can we not have the conversation about it anymore because it's fashionable now and it's a good thing to do if you're out your ground? I'm never going to do it. You're never going to do it. And I think you know th- that's where we'll stand with it.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's a um, as, you, as you quite rightly point out, depending on you know how widely accepted it is get, in in whichever community in which you play your cricket predominantly, or how you're brought up to play cricket, will depend on. Who does it? Who doesn't do it? Etc. Etc. Um, but yeah, we're, we shall move on. Uh, it's not. It's not something that we're going to solve between the servers, and even less likely if Robo was here. So, um, right. <laughs> um, ECB central contracts. Now, are you surprised? Well, what by one more so than any of the others? I would. I would okay. say. maybe. Maybe two. Maybe two. Um, now. A number of times on this podcast, over, I reckon, it's got to be 18 months, I have referenced a conversation with someone who really, 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 really does know about a certain Joffre Archer, right? Whereby the ECB bowled him into the ground when he was injured and basically fucked his elbow. And not summer gone, summer before, I was told explicitly by this person, I don't think he will ever play red ball cricket again, let alone test cricket for England. Now, that person may be wrong, but considering who this person is and the role they hold, hold within cricket, I would be very, very surprised if they were wrong. Yet Joffrey Archer has been given a full central contract, multi-format. So I'm surprised by Did that. Did you not it, see him bowling in social media? He's been bowling. Haven't you seen yeah. the, the social media yeah. posts that he's been yeah, posting? Yeah. Well, there's, a, there's a big difference being able to be a T20 franchise player and bowl. You can see someone bowling three three balls in the net in Barbados, well, if you're going to become a T20 franchise player in, you know, and work six months of the year and earn three times as much as a million pound central contract, that's fine. Is he going to be able to bowl three spells of eight overs a day for two, two and a half days during the course of a test match for five test matches a year for the next three to five years? No, I don't think he is. And that's the, and the information I've been given would severely stack in my favour. Now, is The only that, thing
1: I'd say is. Tamal Mills and a bunch of other people have had cricket ending career uh, injuries and they've come back. Not That's to the play only thing ball. I'd say. I'm using Tamal Mills. Not to play red ball cricket. Ah, I agree with that. I agree with
0: that. I agree with that. White ball Thank cricket, different conversation, obviously, because it's yeah, shorter spells, right? So, so if Joffrey had been given an incremental contract, where he's predominantly white ball, no problem. Why has he been given a test contract? Now, are the ECB going, really sorry for... Uh, basically ending, ending your Red Bull career. Maybe, yeah, it, maybe. It's a million quid. Don't know. Look, the ECB work in funny ways. We all know that. that you know, you don't, you don't need to be Einstein to, to figure that out, the amount of problems that they've caused to the national game over a long period. Um, but that one I was really surprised with. Um, the other one that I'm kind of surprised by, but actually thinking about it, maybe not, is David Malang going to play Test cricket again when with the emergence of Livingston, Harry Brooke a um, couple of others, like maybe not, like Keaton Jennings has got back in. Um, Alex Lees has obviously been dropped for the Pakistan series, um, in, so maybe not so much with David. Alex Hales, the real big case in point. Um, I kind of think by him not even being given an incremental contract that they're basically going, look, you you bat really well in Australia. you he owns the big bash most years. Uh, T20 World Cups there, coming open, but we're still really not that sure about you as a bloke. So we'll kind of use you and abuse you and then off you go. Um that's my view. We're kind of waiting for J. Roy to get back into a bit of form, and then he we still see him as the future because he's a few years younger than you. J. Roy's gone down to an incremental contract. He's not going to play test cricket again. That experiment didn't work. Um other than that, I think they're pretty they're pretty set. Um, I, I don't really have any problems with any of the others. I don't know what you think.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it's interesting because I remember, what was it, a year ago, Johnny Bairstow lost his contract completely, right? And then he came back into Test cricket and he scored a million runs. So, you know, I, I, I think some of the people that have been moved to incrementals and some people that we think should have got contracts that haven't got contracts that will still play. I mean, Keaton Jennings doesn't have a contract, but yet he's playing in the in the series that's coming up in a couple of months' yeah. time. So, look... The ECB know better than us. They're the ones that obviously paid the big bucks, but it's it, it makes for great uh, conversation and talking points, which is which is what we like doing. So good luck to them. Um, yeah, really looking forward to seeing
0: how they progress over the next 12 months. Well, how have they progressed over the last few days? Obviously, 4-3 win against uh, <laughs> Um Now, a couple of things. We're 2-0 up. They won the second game today. Uh, obviously, Australia played yeah. their Z side in the first game. Uh, and, and to be fair... Australia got a lot closer to that total than they should have, um, but we won the game. Today, they then bring Cummins, Hazelwood start back in, um, and we won by nine runs, I think. So, we're 2-0 up. Unassailable lead in a three-match series, um, which is great. I think it's the, the what, you, you gave me a stat earlier. Just remind me about that. We've beaten them t- twice since, what was it? So, so yeah, what a stat. Um, it's th- These
1: past two wins are the first time in Australia, um, I think, for the last 13 games, I might be—I might be wrong there. I might have misread that on Twitter, but you know, you believe everything you read on the internet. But uh, yeah, it's one of those where it's unbelievable from England to come out just prior to a World Cup and actually start stringing some performances together. Um, I'm going to—I'm going to raise an unpopular opinion. Should Ben Stokes be in the side? And I, re- I look—I really like Ben Stokes as a player. I think he's—he adds great value. And look, he, he, he adds two facets, right? Or well, three if you look at his fielding today. One. He didn't score many runs in game one. He hasn't scored many runs in game two. He bowled unbelievably well, even though he only bowled two overs. And that six that he saved was just superb. But are there better players in the squad that could be in his place? Unpopular opinion, I know, but I'm going to throw it out there.
0: I, I hear this a lot, and I have heard it a lot. There's a lot of this being bandied around. So, obviously, I do some commentary for Gorilla Cricket. They've all been talking about it. Um yeah, I, it's difficult, isn't it? I, I think that he's such a talismanic player for England, you know, and has been and you know, people still think back to 2016 and the final and the four balls of number six, Carlos Brathwaite and all that. Mm. Um, I just wonder whether, and this is the, the weird way that cricket works. I think at all levels you have, um, I think sometimes, too much of an allegiance to people based on what you think they can do rather than what they're currently doing their current performance levels and I think that with Ben Stokes having walked away from 50 over cricket are they actually then going to say sorry Ben we know on your day and you look at his performances in the IPL and stuff like he's still an x-factor player he just hasn't ever really done it in an England shirt now whether that's because he's batted at five and six or whatever you know he batted three in the first game because obviously got up to a great start batted four today I think I didn't get many you know Are there going to be, over the period of, what, five, six, seven, eight games or whatever it takes to win a World Cup, is there going to be a day where he wins it for us with a bat? Most probably. Um, Is that too much of a risk to take at the moment? Well, he's played twice. He's batted at four twice. He hasn't scored any runs twice, but we won both games against one of the best sides in the world. So, and he bowled today. got two overs, one for ten, off two. Decent. His fielding's incredible. So, yeah, it's a bit of a like, suck your finger and put it in the air, see which way the wind's blowing kind of thing, isn't it? You know, it's it's going to divide opinion. Um, I really like him. I um, don't know him. Um, you know, that's not why I say I really like him. I just think he's a good bloke to have around. He's obviously a national test captain. Um, you know what you're going to get from him. Um, and so we'll see. You know, we, we will be proven right or we will be proven wrong, I guess, as will the selectors. But we'll we'll, we'll just have to see. And I think that's a great segue to ask a question. So we are launching the
1: cricket draft tonight. We'll publish everything tomorrow morning and we'll give you the link so that you can come and join the Slogging It League. It's a public lead. Question is, would he be in your squad and would he be in your eleven?
0: Oh, crikey. Do you know what? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he would. I don't know if he would because – I think from memory, you probably get to pick two all-rounders, three all-rounders. I don't know on current form whether he would. I think there are better options in out of everybody that's, you know, it might be listed as an all-rounder is going to be in that competition. So, um, no, probably not. I think he'd be in my squad. Whether he'd be in my 11 is a different matter. Um, and, I'd probably take And it what, what we will sport. do next week is we will discuss our 11s at length and why
1: we put them in. Um, obviously, I think everyone will have Joss Butler in there. I think everyone in the world, when you have a look at, you know, how many people would select him and look, go and have a look at the cricket draft. It's fantastic. It's a great um, portal. Create your own leagues. Invite us into your leagues. Like I said, you know, we want to create as many people or allow as many people to come and join our league so that we can have the banter. Um, during the, during this during the cricket uh, world cup, we will announce who's a top, you know, who's doing well, who the top risers are, we'll come up with a whole bunch of stats. So there'll be shout-outs on the pod.
0: Um, so, yeah, get involved and, and we'll send you the link. And this, for those who don't know, this is like fantasy football, but for the Cricket World Cup, right? T20 World Cup. That's correct. That is exactly Perfect. so. So what this will mean is I'll probably come last because if it's anything like my previous attempts at fantasy football, I take notice for about three hours and then can't be asked anymore because I've got other things to do. So I will probably we'll come last. We'll keep you focused because we're going to be mentioning it every week on the pod. We're going to keep you focused um, on this, Jonah. No. There are other challenges that need to be mentioned on the pod, aren't there? Um, Robbo and I are going to do a challenge against each other. Eugene and I are going to – we've both got a peloton, so we're, we're both talking about getting really fit for next year. Um, really fit is relative for me and Eugene. Uh, but <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're going to do a peloton challenge that we're going to work out. Um, in the interview, you're going to hear later on with um, Mark from the TAVs, um, there is something that's come up whereby I, – and I think we're kind of in it now um, – I think we are. I think we are. A three-man bike or maybe two tandem bikes and a Ride 100. Um, yeah, but we'll, we'll we'll see how that transpires. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about with the Australia thing, Matthew Wade. So Matthew oh, yes. Wade basically clotheslined Mark Wood, didn't he? Um, well, it depends on who you ask.
1: It depends on who you ask. If it's the English media, he basically gave him the slang dunk, perplex, threw him over his shoulder and wwe'd him into the ground if you were the australian media they had a minor altercation
0: classy um is it so i listened to it i haven't seen it i've seen photos of the, the alleged incident and what have you um maybe i'm more interested in do we think that joss was right in say and he's come up afterwards and he's basically said look we're in australia for a month or six weeks Do we really want to have that hanging over us and the Australians absolutely pommy bashing us for that entire time? I think Josh's box pretty clever there, to be honest. I agree. I agree 100%. You know, it's a warm-up game.
1: It doesn't mean much. It's basically getting the players, you know, match fit. Now, I'm going to, again, I'm going to raise a question here. When you get bowled, do you have to appeal? So I'm now going to go... If there is obstruction in the field, why does the fielding team have to appeal?
0: Yeah, the umpire, a lot of people have said that the umpires should basically take it out of their hands. But we all know now that the umpires are trying to do less and less, aren't they? So, um, yeah. Now, I know, I
1: know you appeal for LBW. I know you appeal for caught behind. I know you appeal for a bunch of things. But it's, it's interesting. I was thinking about it when, when, when they actually mentioned it. It was like, well, England haven't appealed, so it's not out. And I'm going to myself, well you know what? The next time I'm playing cricket and I get bowled, I'm just going to go there, fix the stumps, put the bales back on and stand there. And and if they ask me why I'm standing, I'm going, well, nobody appealed. And and obviously, I'm hoping we have the 15 second rule. And, you know, if you don't appeal and it's 15 seconds, like like in the IPL review, hopefully I'll take 15 seconds to put the
0: bales back on. I'm going to go, well, time's up, lads. I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> is it just me? I, I, it's an interesting one. But what, I mean, I think the obvious argument were people saying, but by celebrating, they're almost kind of celeb appealing, or, you know, maybe Stuart Broad's ruined it for everybody. I don't know. Um, what might be really interesting is, so one of the first-class panel umpires is a golfing buddy of mine, a guy called Paul Pollard, who used to play for Nottinghamshire. Um, it might be really interesting to try and engage Polly on something like that and see get his view on it and then... Um, maybe get him onto the pod, and then if there are any other kind of, you know, really rogue umpiring things, you know, you know, like on Sky Sports where they have Dermot Gallagher on, like Ref Watch, we could maybe we could yeah. have Umpire Watch or something like that with Polly. But yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll get him and see. Um, But yeah, so that was another another um, another bone of contention. You know, no series between England and Australia would be uh, quite right without it, wouldn't it? Um, right, we're going to go now into the. Um, Interview with Mark Curtin, the CEO of the Lords Tabs. Um, it's um un- it's unbelievable. Um, you know, obviously Eugene and I and Robbo as well, very close to the tabs. Um. Just listen to it. It's brilliant. Listen to him. Listen to our talks. Listen to the difference that it makes. Listen to how you personally can make a difference to the t- not only the tabs of the charity, but what they do like and the amount of money that they channel. All of their money is channeled into these programs, uh, and, it, and it's phenomenal. When we come back, we'll listen to a funny Johnny Berso Bears- story from one of our listeners. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the tabs, and then we'll wrap up. We have mentioned that this was coming. Uh, tonight, we have an, an esteemed guest. guest. A truly wonderful man, uh, other than the fact he's a gunner. Um, you know, everybody has their vices and everyone's got their problems, I guess. But um, a, a great friend to me, a great friend to Eugene, uh, a great friend to the pod. Um, the CEO of the, the charity that we support, the Lord's Seveners, Mr. Mark Curtin. How are you, mate? I'm very good, mate. Thank you for that very, uh, very nice, warm welcome. I'll um, I'll pay you later. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did. I did say to you off air I was going to get the you know the, the slight Gunners thing in, but you know as I say everybody's got their yeah. their own. I'm I'm sitting here smug and top of the league, mate. So that's all
2: I'm going to say about that.
0: Well, all right. We, we, yeah, <laughs> I, I've got nothing other than United beating you three one, but yeah, other than that, you know, um, yeah, I'm not sure it'll last. Uh, Mr. Harland might have something to say about it between now and uh, May, but we, we, no we, we should... you're only as good as your last game, right? Um, so. We'll get straight into it. Um, Obviously, Eugene and I will will share the questions over the course of the next half an hour or so. Um, Obviously, I've been to... Well, we've both been to a lot of events with you and heard you you talk very kind of fluently and eloquently about the tabs and your own background and stuff. Um, Just give the listeners a real kind of brief overview, I guess, of who who is Mark Curtin, what do you currently do, and where does your love of cricket come from? Yeah,
2: thanks. Yeah, I'm... um, so I without giving you the whole sort of, you know, Eamon Andrews or Michael Aspel Red Book aspect of it, my I my whole life has been about sport. You know, I come from pretty pretty humble beginnings, um, fairly working class family. My dad was a was once a, a homeless Irish immigrant that came to the UK in the fifties with with literally nothing and lived in a train carriage for a little while until he could find work and stuff, and my mum very much from a you know, working class family that None of them went to university or or anything like that. So for for us growing up, we were okay. We weren't really poor or anything, but we also weren't really really privileged. Um, but sport was massive in our family. It was really big, and especially for me, um, I also you know I wasn't particularly gifted academically. Well, actually, that's an understatement. I wasn't gifted academically or anything like that. I did I didn't do very well at school, but but sport was always the thing that gave me gave me uh, a <clears throat> sense of belonging, all my friends, all the skills and characteristics and things that I learned, you know, resilience and teamwork and communication and determination. So I, I just, I value sport so much. It did so much for me. It, it took me to be the first person in my family, actually, off to university. Uh, it took me to go and um, I, I went and worked and lived in the States coaching soccer, as they call it out there. Um, and, and not just football, which was my my first love, I guess, um, and as you mentioned before, the connection with Arsenal, but but lots of sports, and, and cricket was was one of them. And my first... I'm 45, so my first real cricket memories were probably the Ashes 86-87 tour, where we won, which ended up being the last time we won out there for a long, long time, watching Gat and Gower and Gladstone Small and all those guys that were out there which is weird now because I grew up with those guys as my heroes and now thanks to the Lord's Taverners they're you know friends people that I speak to quite regularly in fact sometimes try and avoid when they ring me because um, <laughs> they're, they're after something so yeah so you know very simple straightforward down-to-earth kind of background but, but sport has given me so much and I'm really really privileged. I think, to have had sport in my life and learned what sport can do for young people that don't necessarily have a lot. And as a result, get to have what's arguably the best job in the world, because I'm now doing with young people what sport did for me when I was a kid. So that's that's the kind of, you know, the the background to it all, if you like.
1: It's it's a great job to have as the CEO of the Lords Taverners, but I suppose what our listeners might be interested in is what got you there you know what precursor jobs did you have to go through and earn your stripes to actually become you know the prestigious uh or have this prestigious role that you have now
2: yeah it's um it's a good question that eugene actually i i i actually just wrote a piece we, we have a thing called the long room magazine at the taverners that goes out to our membership i just wrote a piece for the next issue at the weekend and in it one of the things i said was i used to think people like me from my background, don't get to become the chief exec of an organisation like Lord's Taverners um, because it's so prestigious and, and, and so on. But the answer to your question is, I, you know, first of all, having played a bit of football, almost made it professionally. I wasn't very good, um, so that didn't work out. But I got into coaching really young, um, and I loved working and leading other people, leading, you know, in that, at that stage, it was my peers or younger kids slightly younger than me, took me out to America two years, two amazing years in the States. Did a sports studies degree um, and then got, when I came back to the UK in my early 20s, I worked in various different organisations that, that what we know now as the sport for social development sector. So I did some work with organisations that my, some people would have heard of that like Sport England, Sports Coach UK or UK Coaching as it's called now and and did various sort of project work. I worked as a sports studies uh, teacher at a college in Milton Keynes for a while. Um, but then my, the real big career opportunity for me came around about 2007. I was in my late 20s. And I went to work for a charity called Greenhouse Sports. And there was a guy there called Michael DiGiorgio, who even to this day, Mike has been in my personal, in, sorry, in my private life, m- my father figure. What like, It's just the most amazing guy. Founded this charity that use multiple sports. Greenhouse, funny enough, just recently has started venturing into cricket, but table tennis, basketball, football, swimming, lots of work with young people with disabilities. And at quite a young age, 29, I got given the grand title of Chief Operating Officer at Greenhouse Sports and um, just went on this like, amazing seven year journey of fundraising, project managing, negotiating stuff, leading big teams of sports coaches. Delivering to literally hundreds and you know thousands of young people, um, and and then after that, <clears throat> about t- 2014, Mike said to me, um, "It's time for you to move on." And I was I was devastated. This was this was like my family. This was the best job anyone could ever have. Um, and at the time, I felt I, I was just absolutely gutted, but but went on to do some other stuff. I I left the sport for development industry for a while. I went to work for some wonderful charities, um, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which some people may have heard of, which just does the most incredible things with lovely families who are going through the most horrendous of times, you know, with children that are living with a life-threatening condition. Um, during my time there, I had various different jobs, but one of them, which was hilarious, as a non-french speaker was chief exec of make a wish france um, for a little while which was really interesting In fact, thankfully everybody spoke english to me certainly to my face anyway i'm not sure what they might have been saying about me behind my back <laughs> um, and then i and then i went to work uh, sorry i'll go back a bit mike the reason mike suggested that i move on not because i wasn't doing a good job i think but because he wanted me he he invested I don't know, emotion, energy and that in me and, and said, you need to go and do something different. Go and stretch yourself, go and learn new things, go and work in different parts of our industry, our sector. And, and when I had jobs like the one at Make-A-Wish or, or, or others, you know, I, I, I learned a lot and did other things. And I, and I, I became, if you like, my, I carved this career in the charity sector. So it was great because you're always working for an organization that's got a social purpose, it's always about other people, the people that you're existing to serve or to work with or to help or support, depending on what your cause is. And it gives you this enormous, enormous, I can't under—you know overstate this in, uh, at all, um, sense of pride, passion, um, desire to want to um, work with, be inspired by and help other people. Um, and then in 2019, I got a call from Mike to say that a friend of his who I knew fairly well from the days at Greenhouse who was a trustee there, his son had passed away. Uh, his name was Felix Byamshaw. He was 14 years old, contracted meningitis and died very, very suddenly. And his parents, Jane and Justin Byamshaw, um, you know, you can just imagine anyone who's a parent that's listening to this, just how devastated that would have been. But they created this charity called the Felix Project. And, they tell this story that Felix um, was at a football tournament one day, uh, came from a very privileged background himself. And a bunch of boys turned up, I think from South London or Peckham, you know, Peckham, that kind of way. And they were hungry. And Felix said to Justin, his dad, he said, well, why didn't they just have breakfast? And Justin said, well, actually not everybody gets to have breakfast. And, and when they were thinking about how to, to do something in Felix's memory after he passed, um, they justin remembered this story about this young boy, I think at 12 or 13 years old at that stage, maybe younger, who wanted to help these young boys that had come from another community, weren't as privileged as him. So the Felix Project um, rescues, as we used to call it, food from the food industry, surplus food for all kinds of different reasons. It will become surplus at the farm gate, in the supermarkets, in the production lines, et cetera. And then with an army of volunteers redistributes that food out with a, with vans and warehouses and all kinds of things to homeless shelters, uh, to youth clubs and other organizations that effectively are, are feeding London's poor, um, and London's underprivileged and, and, and London's hungry people. Um, so I, I took up my first ever chief exec job there in 2019. Um, and then about eight months later, Um, Boris Johnson rocked up on TV and said, right, we're going to shut the country down. Um, And all these people that had the lifeline of support from youth clubs and homeless shelters and, you know, pensioners lunch clubs and so on, found that their food sources were taken away from them. So we went through and I won't bore your listeners with all the details, but basically over the next two years, we went through this incredible, amazing um, journey where everybody just f- forgot about their job title and their roles and my job as chief exec was just to just to get everybody doing whatever it took to feed literally millions of meals to hundreds of thousands of people when the world had locked down and um and it you know in a funny kind of way seems odd saying this but it was good for me in my career at that stage I was in my first chief exec job The organisation went from turning over about 1.8 million a year to 12 million in 2020. We opened up three new warehouses. We took over, people will probably know the organisation Fair Share, which is the one that Marcus Rashford supports a lot. We took over their entire London operation. We had this crazy bonkers idea just by chance when we found, we happened upon this old professional kitchen to open the kitchen up and take the surplus food and get professional chefs to actually cook meals, hot meals that we could take out and that just came about one day when I said to an estate agent that was showing me around the warehouse I said what's in there and he showed me and I said oh, I've got this idea and I talked to a few people and we raised a million two million quid for it within a few months and it's now open and running in Poplar in East London so anyway all of that time there just really taught me a huge amount about leading people about change about doing whatever it takes um, and then uh, early last year, in early 2021, I got the call from the recruitment agent saying, um, do you fancy getting back into the sport for development sector? Do you know the Lord's Taverners? And funny enough, I said to them at the time, a guy called George, who's, who, I said, uh, Lord's Taverners is not really for me. I don't, I don't, my perception of that organisation is it's not, you know, cricket. I love my cricket. I'm a big Middlesex fan. Um, go to Lords, even Uxbridge, you know, w- watch the games, etc. A lot, watch a lot of England, um, uh, cricket in in all forms. But I didn't feel because of you know my background and where I come from, as I said, that someone like me would become the chief exec of an organisation like Lord's Taverners. Cut a long story short, a few people changed my mind. One person I should mention on here actually because he's a massive Taverner. It's a guy called Pete Ackley, who I've known for a long, long time. Used to work at the England and Wales Cricket Board. And Pete and I had a chat on the phone. He said, come on, mate, come and, come and make a difference. Come back to the sport for development sector. So that was, yeah, you know, that was my kind of journey, if you like, amongst many other things that I did. But I um, I worked in sport, did some other things for a while, and then kind of got this call that brought me back here. And, uh, yeah, 12, 13 months in now, you know, I um, haven't looked back at all. It's been just incredible. Amazing, amazing job.
0: Well, we're, we're very, very lucky to have you. Um, I Obviously, you and I speak regularly about a number of different things, TABs related and um, ways in which we can work together and uh, strengthen the Woodstock and TABs relationship and whatever Some of which Mitch, we'll come on to later. Um, in terms of, you, I know you briefly touched on, you know, your, your you know, family situation with your dad coming in and, and what have you. Um, yeah. We'll come on to the individual programmes a little bit later because I want to go into a bit more detail on them, but, why do you feel, now having been in the role for a year, 13 months, what have you, why do you feel so much affiliation to the problems that the kids, that the TAVs looks to help, if that makes sense?
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, it does, absolutely, mate. Um, <clears throat> quite frankly,
2: because I could have been, was one of those kids. We have, a, we have an amazing program, which, which we might talk about in a bit, in a bit, uh, at the Taverners, amongst many, called Wicket's. And Wickets is a program where we work with county cricket boards and cricket foundations around the country. And we put a development officer into a community, um, you know, Birmingham, Devon, all all across the place, inner city areas, as, as well as some of the more rural areas. And that community officer is not just... I was talking to some guys that work about this today, actually. Yes, they're a cricket coach, and cricket is the thing that binds and brings all the kids and the families together, but actually, those our development officers are the superstars of the Lord's Taverners. They are the unsung heroes. They're not only great coaches, technically, but they are role models. They are mentors. They're they're the pied pipers, if you like, in the right context of um, of what we do. And and those guys quite often they'll be the young people. Uh, sorry, they'll be the role model or the security the the thing in that young person's life that they go to for um you know for advice for guidance for safety um for leadership um and therefore when i um like some of the other organizations i've worked for and particularly greenhouse that i talked about before but what i love about my role at the tavs is i get to go out around the country and i get to see these guys and girls in action and i hear from the parents that the impact they have i I hear stories, There's, we've got a development officer down in Hampshire, Sam, who runs a program in the St. Mary's area, Southampton, and I was at his program last November, nearly a year ago now, and he was telling me about this young lad who's from the Muslim community and was they were struggling to find time for him to commit to his family and cultural commitments with mosque and also to play cricket. And Sam he quite easily could have said, well, you know, just there's nothing we can do about it. He just, you know, he, he, he has to choose one or the other. But Sam's, Sam's view was, well, that, that's not good enough. Like, we, we have to do more than that. So he'd engaged with the local iman at the mosque. He'd taken time and energy quite often in his own time to find out, you know, how do we help this young person continue to have the life that his family want him to have and that he is important to him in terms of his, in this case, his cultural background. But how do we also make sure that cricket works for him and fits around his life? You know, and I, and I could spend all night telling you hundreds of stories about young girls, um, people from different ethnic minority communities, people from really challenged communities that, you know, the, the 10,000 or so young people that we work with that are living with a physical and or learning disability. Every one of them's got a personal story. What has cricket done for me? How has cricket helped me to overcome the challenges, to um, make friends, to be more confident, to become independent? Jono, you'll remember we sat at Lords um, in July um, with, uh, with your good friend and a, good, a massive good friend of the Taverners, Toby Tarrant, hosting yeah. our Super Ones um, Awards evening. And we had four young people, all very different, all living with different disabilities that night that received an award. And they all had an amazing, compelling story. And at the heart of it was a coach, a development officer, the Taverners Super Ones programme that enabled them to, um, to be empowered and overcome the challenges that they, that they face. And, and, and Toby did a brilliant job that night, love Toby to bits, where he interviewed two mums, if you remember, on stage. Yeah, yeah. And they just talked about not only the impact on their kids – but the impact on them as a family. So going back to your, your question, the reason I love what we do so much is, yeah, TABS is great. It's fun. We play golf. We go to lunches. We get to, you know, have the privilege of cricket matches and all the things that, that is is great being part of the TABS and raising funds. But it's the why we do what we do. It's hearing those personal stories, listening to Maria, Ryan's mum from Crawley in Sussex, Who um, talks about how um, cricket may have just saved his life, has made his life so different, so enriched, Mm. and I just think for me, when I was a kid, some of the challenges that we faced—you know, my, I, as I said, my Anglo-Irish family—we lived in London in the eighties when a lot of the Irish, like people like my dad, were told that they were either drunk or they were a terrorist, or you know, faced a lot of prejudices myself that that I know that many others have faced in different ways. But whenever it was a football or a cricket or a basketball, whatever team, that was all left at the door. We were teammates. We all played sport together. And I see that now in those stories of those kids that come to our programs. And thanks to, you know, the support, I'm sure many people listening to this podcast, to those that come to Taverners events and stuff, isn't it amazing that a whole bunch of us that literally thousands of us come together to to make that happen through fundraising and you know working with companies like yours John O Woodstock and so on it's just so that's that's what you know when the when the weather's crap and I'm not like you in Spain enjoying a glass of wine and it's 24 <laughs> degrees that's what that's what gets me out of bed on a cold wet Monday morning
1: it's it's great to hear you talk so passionately about, about the tabs and it's it's well it's a privilege for Sloggin to have been associated with you guys for the past 2 years and have the opportunity to try and raise some money and and see what we can do and what our listeners can do but in your eyes why is the tabs such an amazing charity i mean you you've obviously spoken so passionately about everything already but you know if you were to sort of single out one thing what would you say about it
2: people It's all about people, Eugene. There are some amazing, incredible people, um, and and Jono, um, that are involved in the Um, (laughs) organisation. Thank you. you. Sorry, mate. Sorry. So it's just so easy. It's just so easy. But no, it's about people, and it's about passion, and it's about, you know, there's a very famous story at the Tav's In 1950, when the Tav's you know, there was a bunch of guys sat in the tavern pub at Lord's watching cricket, and, and as legend has it, turned around to each other and said, God, isn't this game amazing? Aren't we privileged? Shouldn't we do more to help people that are less privileged than us and, and use cricket and our connections and, and our privilege to do that? And, and whilst things have changed, and 1950 is a long way away from you know, 2022, the principles and the essence of what we do are still there. People caring about other people. And doing whatever it takes, raising money, raising awareness, you know, sponsoring things, giving time, effort, energy. I, I, talk, I always think about three things I've learned um, from a really lovely guy I used to work with at the Felix Project that talks about how people are altruistic in their nature, which is the three T's. Time, talent, treasure. You can give one, two or all three of those things to a good cause. Um, And I think at the Taverners, I've spent 12 months shocked, if I'm honest, about just how many people there are involved in the organisation. And the amount of times I walk into a room or go to an event and someone comes over to me and I look at them and go, I should know who you are, but I cannot remember because I met 5,000 people last month. But everybody's got the same desire and determination. It's what can we do, have fun along the way, but what can we do to help those young people who are, um, you know, in, in old language at the tabs, not as fortunate or as privileged as ourselves.
0: Amazing. I think you summed it up brilliantly. Um, uh, we, we, I want to come on to um, what our listeners and their extended networks can can do to help the tabs because sometimes I wonder whether people think, is it worth me giving three quid through the text code that we always give out because is that really helping? So we'll come on to that and go into that in a lot more detail. Um We've touched a little bit on super ones and wickets. Obviously, there's table cricket as well. Um, Can you just talk, you know, about the differences between the three, what the three are, how they help three different sections of society? You know, I would say there are probably three showcase programmes. I don't know if you'd agree.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're what we call our core programmes. We've we've got a sports kit programme as well, and I know we'll talk about that in a moment. But... The community programs, we've just, and I'm not going to bore everybody. When I came in last year, the board asked me to to, re, to lead the re, re-strategising at the charity. The charity's done lots of things that we're very proud of over the last 72 years that have all been quite different. You know, it's been synonymous with things like minibuses and sensory rooms and wheelchairs for basketball and so on. But through a big, long process we went through with lots of members this, this winter uh, or this last 12 months. We decided to, work, to focus where we're most impactful. And as I mentioned before, the stories that we hear from young people themselves, um, the, the feedback and the insight that we get from families and mums like Maria that we met at that, uh, that night we had at Lords, Jono, is that, is that putting a coach or a role model or a development officer, whatever the job title may be, into a community to create something for young people to come and belong to, and be part of every single week, all year round, with lots of other things that wrap around it, is where we feel confident that we make the biggest difference. So, to answer your question about the difference between them, um, let's start with Wickets. So, Wickets is effectively a community coach, stroke development officer building a program in a community where we've partnered with all kinds of different organizations, cricket foundations, county boards, those, you know, cricket fans will understand some of the structures around the game and that person is deployed out in the local community to identify what the issues are so we've got katie that works down in devon one of the things that's a big issue down in that area for young people is um obesity and sugar and education around diet and nutrition Um, and so she does a lot of work not only with the cricket program but she works with other agencies and organizations to bring them to where the kids come to play cricket and to do educational programmes and mentoring and, and so on. You take another wickets programme in a completely different part of the country, and I think this is the beauty with the wickets programme, is that cricket is the, is the carrot, if you like, and then we build a bespoke approach around it. We work in Luton, where we've got a huge wickets programme, where we've got a multitude of different issues that we're addressing. We've got young people who, uh, who are Afghanistani refugees, We've got people from the Pakistani and the Indian community, from the Caribbean community, from the kind of working white class community coming together, social cohesion, overcoming those barriers. You know, we all know that the spotlight has been on cricket for the wrong reasons a lot in the last 12 to 24 months with everything that's happened at Yorkshire and other, other areas of the game. But we know that the game is and can be and is really inclusive. And these programs are by design put in these communities to overcome those barriers and to get people to talk to each other. We've got loads of great, amazing video footage and content of young people from different communities asking, you know, somebody about their culture or their background or their beliefs or their religion. And they do that because they've come together to learn about each other. So Wicket's, you know, lots of different examples. We do stuff with the police. We do stuff with the forces around team building and so on. Um, Sorry, somebody ringing my doorbell. Um, And and the Wickets program is very much in the community outside of school time doing that. Super Ones is is similar in structure, but it's specifically designed to create an environment where people with learning and or physical disabilities can come along, play cricket, softball cricket in the sports hall in the winter. Uh, And then and then obviously outdoors in the summer. Um, but we create an environment where young people with a disability are able to play and enjoy the game that they might not get access to because of their challenges of um, taking on a disability in, in other settings. And essentially, you know, the, the coaches and the development officers are, are, are specifically and highly trained. We work really closely with lots of agencies. One of the really exciting things that we're doing this year on our Super Ones programme um, is a key outcome is to help young people or empower is the word we use, young people to live a more independent life. One of the fears that you have if you're a parent of a young person with a disability is, is that when they reach adulthood, can they live independently? And, and what we're doing is looking at one of the ways to do that is to is to help them prepare for employment. And we've got this really exciting project emerging this year where we're going to do some CV building that then leads to interviews, that then leads to stewarding on a match day in the county cricket structure around the country at the games. And that is a journey that those kids will go on over months and months. It's, it's an aspect of Super Ones. Cricket starts with cricket when they come together and play. And then once they're in the programme, there's lots of other enriching things, including that, that we'll do with them. Table cricket is also specifically focused on young people with disabilities. But I would probably say in all my years in working in sport, across lots of sports, in lots of charities, as I mentioned before, table cricket's probably the most inclusive sport that you could ever see. And I, and for those that haven't seen it, imagine a big table tennis table with now some really specifically designed barriers or um, borders around it that that form a kind of a boundary. One person at one end, one person at the other, Bowling a ball down a ramp, a bit like if you imagine when you take your kids bowling and you get the ramp out for them and the things go up on the side. And then the other person's got a small bat um, that's about three or four inches, maybe a bit longer. Um, And then you score by hitting the ball into corners and areas. Now, the great thing about that, the reason I think it's so inclusive is that you can be you can be a wheelchair user and you sit around that table, but you might not be disabled. You might not um, be a wheelchair user, but you still have to sit at the table and And the phrase "level playing field gets thrown around a lot, but this this literally is a level playing field it and it's fun, it's engaging. Go on our website and have a look at the video from this year's finals at Lords um where we had Georgia Adams and Ben Folkes came down um for the day as well, which was great and it was just so competitive, it's great fun and it and it really is an inclusive uh, way to get young people engaged and you know, having fun and building skills and confidence and so on. So those three core programmes are the way in which we tailor uh, cricket, if you like, to meet the needs and demands of different people from different communities facing different challenges.
0: Toby and I, and I think, I can't remember if you had a go as well. Obviously, we, the new kits were launched at the Christmas lunch on Park Lane last year. Uh, and Toby yeah. Tarrant, obviously, um, we referenced earlier on. Certainly, he and I had a go at it. I don't know if you, you had a go with us on it, but yeah, we we did it. Just you yeah, know, in the it was brilliant, absolutely yeah, brilliant.
2: It's
0: brilliant. Anyone, lets you
2: know, almost anyone can play table cricket, and it, and it's a real level. And one of my best memories from this year was when we were at Lords when the national finals won. So the, the reason we got a national finals is is we run a national competition structure, and there are regional finals. The guys in Yorkshire and Lincolnshire and that end up playing at Headingley, uh, the, you know, Edgeboston. We use Stoke Mandeville with our, you know the birthplace of the Paralympics, and the teams go through this competition, get to the final. And I remember this year at the finals, as I said, it was it was about a week after folks had had that Sunday morning with Joe Root when he got his ten thousand runs against New Zealand at Lords, and he came along. And there was a bit of a media circus there because Ben Folkes had arrived. And these kids were literally showing Ben folks how to play and and beating him at the game. You know, George Adams was there as well. You know, one of the women's uh, professional players and the, both of them just said it was just so, it was so much fun. And they saw how much the kids were getting from it and listening to the parents and the professional people, whether they be teachers or support workers that come along with the young people at these events, um, they will tell you about the impact that, table cricket has not only is it fun not only can everybody play together but the what it does in terms of build confidence and self-esteem and you know there's also one of the other things i think cricket is great with it being a very statistically based game that young people who like statistics and numbers and scoring and that can have a responsibility as an umpire or a scorer as well so um yeah it's just it's it's the greatest thing ever It's, it's it's better than sliced bread Much better than sliced bread.
1: Mark, what an unbelievable set of programs wickets, table cricket, and super ones are. Um, They all cost money, right? And I think it'd be rude not to ask our listeners to please message TABS11 to 60331. Um, You know, it gives us the opportunity to empower and positively impact the lives of young young people facing the challenges of inequality. Um, Mark, other than donating three pounds a month, Tell us a little bit more about how our audience can help and how they can get involved.
2: Yeah, well, first of all, if you want to, you don't have to, but if you want to, come and be a member. You know, you can go on our website. You can find the membership pages that are fairly easy to find, uh, and and have a look at what membership is. You you guys are proud tabs, as we as we all call ourselves. And as a member, you you know, first of all, you get your pin badge or your stripy tie. You get to wear that with pride when you're at Baston or Trent Bridge or. D- Durham Chesler Street, wherever you are, you give a you know a wink and a nod to a fellow Taverner when you see them there and and the sense of pride comes because that membership fee in itself is something that goes towards you know the charitable programs but but moreover and you and you don't have to become a member to help the tabs you can um you can come to an event you can come to one of our you know if you've got a company or a business and you want to entertain either staff and or clients or potential customers, whatever it may be, bring them along to a TABS event, bring them to one of our lunches around the country. We have regional events everywhere. We've got loads coming up this this Christmas. I think something like 10,000 people attend the Lord's Taverners event in the run up to Christmas is a statistic I've heard. But get involved in, in any of our fundraising events. We do days at the races. We do comedy nights. We do golf days. Uh, and everything is designed first and foremost for people to have fun. Um, one of the great things we we three weren't we, we were talking just before we started recording about you know last week uh, a couple of weeks ago at Lords we had a, a tribute to Sir Michael Parkinson who was the uh, president of the Taverners once and has done loads of things over the years. And in that tribute event, there was the great you know and the good of the celebrity world all sitting there at the table having a drink. If you're that way inclined and you want to come along and rub shoulders with, you know, the Chris Tarrants and the um, Michael Parkinson's and the Gats and the Gowers and the Gladstone Smalls and the, um, you know, Chris Cowdery's of this world, come and do it at a TABS event. They'll sit and talk to you all day long about their passion for cricket, passion for the game, passion for what we do, you know, titles and everything are all left at the door. and And you can, you know, if you've got a few quid in your pocket, you can bid for stuff. You can you can actually get some amazing stuff. Sometimes you know, win a win a four ball at a place like Wentworth or Sunningdale, or you know we've always given away tickets for you know. There's a certain uh, cricket series coming up next summer that both the men's and the women's team you know are going to be are going to be playing against those boys and girls from down under, and we'll there'll be events where tickets are raffled off. We you know all those kinds of things. So get involved in our events. Come and come and help. And, and then the other thing that we ask people to do, particularly something that's relatively new to our organization. But we've got some really good examples of this. For example, with Barclay Homes, the Barclay Foundation, part of the Barclay group of businesses, is we want to work more with businesses. We want businesses not not just because we want to go cap in hand and ask for money, but we want people and expertise from within different businesses to help us help us get better as a business, as an organization help us help our young people, as I said earlier, learn more about employment and employment opportunities and things like that. So we're building up more capacity in in the charity to do more with businesses. We'd love individuals to not only put their hand in their pocket, but come along and have fun, be part of it, be be inspired to join us. And then I think the last thing I would just quickly say as well is that we also want um, organisations that are really keen to help us tell more of the story, to spread the word through the media. If you're a, a media company or you've got, you know, expertise in technology and, and so on, help us with our marketing and our messaging and our storytelling so that more people can hear about us, understand us, and be inspired to um, to come and be part of the tavern. So there's there's a million ways to get involved and, and, and support.
0: I think the... Um... You know, obviously, my love for the taverners runs deep, as it does for with, with Eugene as well. Um, Other things to mention are, you know, the tabs has got a celebrity eleven. Uh, if clubs, if clubs are interested, then they can come to us and find out. We can pass you on to the right people. Um, You know, yeah. Eugene and I have both been lucky enough to play with some phenomenal people. Um Charity marathon places. The tabs have a have a marathon a team in the marathon, as they do in all these big charity events. So if you're a cyclist. Want to do Ride One Hundred London or the or the marathon? Those kind of things again. Get in touch; we can direct you to the right people.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We've we've got forty four places for the marathon in April. This that's coming up. So wow. get in touch with the team, and um, you know those those they're called golden tickets that the that London Marathon give away, uh, and that's you know they they are literally like gold dust. Um, the charity places. So come and be part of of Team Tabs we're lucky this year. There are two London marathons this year because the one in October and one in April in, well, in our financial year. And actually just two weeks ago when the, the, the marathon was on, we had 33 people raised about 70,000 pounds for us. And afterwards at the uh, hotel near the finish, we all got together and had a big party afterwards and, and drinks and thanked everybody. So it's not just about doing an event or taking part in something, but is about being part of the team. You know, we have this kind of hashtag team tabs approach and we welcome people into the organization to do those sorts, to take on those challenges you just listed, Jono.
1: I'd love to know how much it'll cost us to get Jono to run the marathon. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we can we can start something to get Jono to run it and, right, right. and actually, you know, yeah. show us um, how to do,
2: <laughs> yeah. no, you, do you know, you- it. I let you into a little secret. So Jono and I played golf together in a Tabs Day at Denham a couple of months ago. And um, as you do when you, you know, get to a certain age and other busy things in life take over, like, you know, having a, a baby in the house and all that, we're both stood there talking. Uh, this is how much times have changed, right? So Jono and I stood there talking about diets and losing weight and waistlines. And, and I said to why don't we do the marathon together? That would be a good idea, wouldn't it? And um, I've watched Jono play cricket a few times. And I tell you what, when I mentioned that on the gun, we we're about the fifth hole, I think. I've never seen somebody move so quickly. Like, that was the <laughs> quickest single that Jono had ever knocked. He was gone. And, uh, yeah. But I'll get him out there. I will get you out there, Johnny.
0: Well, what? Well, you no, know, honestly, it's something that I've always wanted to do is the, the Ride 100 in London. So I would commit to that. I'm yep. not sure. I'm not sure my legs have got twenty six point two miles. See you it. on a tandem. Perfect. There you go. That'd be amazing. Yeah, now that I'm up for. That I'm I up. I'm in. And if you can get a three yeah. man, you can see you can see Eugene's Peloton in the background. We could even get you if we can get a three man then we're all. Yeah. We, we only <laughs> so have to I'm do definitely a, up for that. Um the the other things that I wanted to um mention just about parky thing. I gutted that I couldn't be there. I've been I've had the pleasure of meeting him twice. Playing for his select eleven twice. Just what a man! And the, the most phenomenal things that I've. The most phenomenal thing I think that the tabs have ever done. They managed to get Michael Bublé defrosted a month early, so he could. <laughs> record, he recorded a personal message, didn't he? Um, but apparently, he got a bit choked up because I mean, obviously, Parky launched Bublé's career in the UK, and they were, yeah. you know, very friends.
2: There was, there were, we had an amazing range of personal tributes that day. Some in the room. So Rob Bryden, Jamie Cullum, who is another person that said on the day that, that Parky literally, you know, made his, uh, got his career started by giving the opportunity that he did on on Parkinson. Um, and Jamie performed on the day three, three incredible songs. And then we had video tributes, yep, from Michael Bublé, from Sir Paul McCartney, from De- James Didi, Judy Dench. Um, the man that we all call El Presidente at, at, at the Tav's, Mr. Gower, who was uh, working abroad uh, in Pakistan, obviously because England were out there um, for the T Twenty series, and um, all paid amazing video tributes, as did many others. And and I think that that's a great example. We've got you know lots of other very famous faces that people will know um, who have done so much and given so much. Um, to the, to the taverners. And, and what we see at our events are those people that they've also helped in their professional world, in Parkey's case, obviously, in broadcasting and chat show hosting, um, and, and before that, journalism, which is something that I learned quite a lot about by uh, talking to Sir Michael's son, Mike. Um, and then, and people are really, um, you know, want to come back and help and give. I, I'm sure you won't mind me saying, I, I phoned Rob Brydon at the risk of name dropping a couple of days after the event to thank Rob for coming to the event and, and, and doing what he did on the day, which was hilarious, funny, um, along with um, with Barry Humphreys of, of Dana, Dame Edna uh, fame. And Rob and I chatted on the phone for ages and Rob was just so gushing and glowing, if you like, in his praise of Parky and what Parky had done. And, and that's the great thing about the tabs is that the people that are involved in it are just the people that want to help others and, and give and support. And it's... You know that's in our DNA at the organisation.
0: Yeah, I think it's in it's in it's certainly in my DNA now. It, it has been for a few years. Certainly, you know, in Eugene's, in the in the podcasts, um, you know, we love we love the um, love the charity daily, and we'll continue to do as much as we can this year. Obviously, Woodstock, of, of which I'm obviously involved, is my business. Um, we do quite a lot with the tabs. Do you want to just talk about the Disability Cricketer of the Year award that we run together? I've done for the last two years, Mark.
2: Yeah, brilliant. I mean, first of all, you know, genuinely, I know we we have a nice sort of bantery, jokey relationship, but I I am really proud to become friends with you, Jono. What what you guys do at Woodstock to support the tabs, and and also you know through slogging it through this podcast is is amazing. So thank you to you guys, to you Eugene, to you know everyone that's involved, and all those people that listen in um, and and support the tabs and. One of the things that we've been doing with Woodstock for some time um, is building up a partnership. We've had lots of conversations, whether it be on the golf course or, um, you know, around a table with a glass of something nice, um, and, um, about how we can do more to work together in the way that I was explaining that lots of businesses can help us. And a, and a great way to celebrate, if you like, the work that young people living with a disability do is... The Lords Taverners sponsors the um, disability cricketer of the year that the cricket writers give out. So Johnny Bairstow won the um, the cricket cricketer of the year award the other week, um, but the disability cricketer of the year was an amazing young man Josh Price, who um, who's just had the most incredible recent times really um, as as a cricketer playing for the England disability side. Um, and Josh is a PE teacher himself as well. Going to, again, have a look on our. Our website you'll see an incredible video about him and what he's done and what he's achieved and how he through determination resilience etc etc overcomes the you know the challenges that he faces just just so inspiring and and as part of our partnership with you guys Jono you then sponsor the winner of in this case Josh of the Disability Cricket of the Year um, for the year that follows which which is really important because you know we all know that the cost of of um, playing top level cricket and the equipment that's required at the top of the game, as Josh plays, isn't isn't cheap. Um, and that you know, and that what you're doing with us and the conversations we've been having, not just in terms of sponsoring a player like Josh, but also ways in which we can make the game um, even more accessible for people who might not be able to afford a you know a bespoke. Um, you know bat that's made for them or clothing equipment etc and I'm really excited about the things that we've been talking about that we're going to be doing together Jono with the Taverners and Woodstock where we're looking at how do we help more young people who are really passionate and want to play the game end up with a really good bat and helmet and gloves and pads and other kit and equipment um, that isn't stuff that's you know, in that sweaty, horrible old bag in the back of the club that has been left there for years and they get given and everyone else has got the shiny new stuff. Let's, let's get everybody playing on a level playing field in terms of their kit and equipment as well. And that's something that, you know, our two organisations have committed to try to find a way to do it over the coming coming months and years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The, um, I mean, this is something that's kind of come about a little bit tonight off air, isn't it? Um, we, we've been talking about this behind closed doors for quite a while, but um, we will be giving much more information about this as, as time progresses. But um, ultimately, um, Slogging It and uh, the tabs along with Woodstock are going to launch a kit drive whereby uh, people can donate any of their old kit. Now, if it's, you know, people change their kit every year. Uh, you might pass it on to someone else, but this is a much more beneficial way for people who are less have got less. Let's be frank about it. Uh, having access to that yeah. decent kit, so people will be able to drop stuff off, and then um, as a thank you for that, through Woodstock we will organise um, something nice as a as a thank you. So whether that turns into a discount on any new stuff that you might want to purchase or whatever, uh, basically we're trying to make the cricket industry a little bit more circular. Let's try and support people who aren't as um lucky as 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 a lot of us um uh, because that makes the world a better place um mark it's yeah,
2: been a well, ab- hats off to you guys as well for doing that that's fantastic and we're looking forward to working with you on that
0: uh, mark it from certainly from me um it's been an absolute pleasure i know the same from you thank you for coming on so, talking so eloquently um so passionately about you know the charity that we all love uh you more than us too I, I guess cuz you have to but we do both love it a lot as you know um it's been an absolute pleasure to to have you on with us and yeah let's um well i'm hoping hundreds of thousands are going to start flooding in over the next couple of weeks as people start listening to this so uh fingers crossed but thank you so much for being with us i'll
2: set your your listeners set them the challenge of crack, crash our website <laughs> if, you can, if you can and uh, and we'll be, we'll be happy about that but no look as i said before thank you guys you know you got, i've got to know you guys over the last year or so we've We've had we have a lot of fun along the way and, you know, emphasize that message that getting involved with the taverners isn't a chore. We don't just ask you to just put your hand in your pocket and give, although that is that is nice. But come and be part of it. Come and be come and get involved like you guys do. Um, So massive personal thanks from me, the staff, the trustees and the other members, but actually more importantly, from the young people and their families. Those mums, dads, aunties, uncles and, and all those participants who who we work with. Um they, you know, they are very thankful and grateful for organisations like Woodstock or, you know, um platforms like Sluggin It and and the listeners for for helping, supporting, telling our stories, telling our message. So massive thanks to to everybody um for, for all that you do to support us and um yeah, just can't can't thank you enough for that. And um and looking forward to doing lots more as we go forward.
0: Well, mate, continue. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Well, huge. Um, I mean, we talked it up before uh, before listening to that. But, I mean, what what a guy. What a charity. Um, I, I think it just – it made me – it re-justified to me why we're so close to that charity and, and the benefits for us personally, but just why why we love it so much. I don't think we big up. Bigged up it
1: enough, it you know, I have to say it's one of the most enjoyable. I'm not saying that you know any of the last I don't know 50 or 60 that we've done already were any better or worse, but this one really it really hits the spot because it helps young people that that from that come from a disadvantaged background, and I think that's massively important. You know, I know when we started doing the podcast all the way back two years ago, we we were talking about you know maybe looking at doing and having a bit of a fun and bit of chats, and then you know you thankfully got the tabs involved and. I remember our first um, our first guest and Toby Tarrant, how we you know uh, elevated his career and got him into you know hosting another cricket podcast and you know it's it's great that he's gone on and, and done so well um, in his career since he was on here. But you know the way he spoke about the Taverners too. I remember listening to it as you. I think I listened to a number of the episodes back to see how far we've come. But I, I don't think we could speak more highly about Mark specifically and mm. and what a great job he does for the Lord Taverners.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we get, look, we're we're very lucky. We get to see the the nice sides of it. And and something that Mark said really struck with me, like anybody listening to this, like, you know, whether you like ex-cricketers, like, you know, I'm, I'm, we I have these really weird times where like I'll get attacks from David Gower or Mike Gattin, who, who I now am lucky enough to call friends, like you know we go and socialize with them at these events like and, and it's weird when those people you've grown up with as heroes know your name and actually approach you to have a conversation rather than you know just trying to hang around and say hello and stuff um What Mark says about them always being fun, like there's like golf days, there's events like you know all these dinners and stuff like it, you get to rub shoulders with some of the most phenomenal people. Um it really is such an amazing charity. Um what they do, if you want to go and play in a golf day or whatever, like just get in touch, we can give you all the information. If you want to come with us, like we we take tables at stuff. Um, you know, cut, let, let come and be part of slogging it tables at Tabs events and see what it's all about. Loads of fun. Um, you get to meet some really cool people. You get to have a beer. You get to eat some really nice food. Like, you know, we'll go to the balloon debate in in December. We'll take a table at that where it's you get to eat dinner in the long room at Lord's. Like, how many people can say they've done that? Like, there's so many amazing things. So, um, but yeah, so that that's just just please, it, just consider getting involved. Come through us. Uh, come with us. Like, you know, it, it's just a, a phenomenal thing. Um, before we finish, huge. Um. We had this. We had this email in as a reference earlier about the the ticket pricing thing. That I know I, I sit on one side of the fence. You and Robo disagreed with me, and then Actually, uh, this, disagree, well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, and then th- this listener uh, disagrees with you and agrees with me, which is perfect. But we'll talk about that when Robo's back. <laughs> it's only fair. Um, but he did also send in a very funny um, story. So. Um, he, re- he writes, uh, Johnny Layton. this is from, on a lighter note, here's a funny story about the angry ginger man that is Johnny Bairstone. In 2021, I was invited to Headingley for day three of the England-India Test Match. The day included all you can drink and boy, did we take advantage of that. As we were leaving, some hour an hour or so after the end of play, a black Land Rover defender pulled up on the pavement outside the gates of the ground. In the driver's seat, we sat none other than Johnny Bairstone. I approached Johnny and asked for a picture. Only to receive, in reply, a point-blank no. He then pulled off and joined the traffic, waiting at the lights. Not taking no for an answer, I went and stood in front of the bonnet and took a selfie of me and Johnny's car as he drove it. The lights changed at this point, and whilst I was stood in front of the bonnet, the car revved and began to pull off, causing me to dive out of the way. Don't meet your heroes. Slog on, Johnny. Um, That's not... (laughs) Johnny Berstow, that's called, it's about Johnny Berstow from Johnny Layton, um, but yeah, no, Johnny Johnny Bearstow, um isn't in the habit of trying to run over his fans, um, but yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was quite funny. I, I was actually there at the time, um, but yeah, it, it was hilarious to watch um, Johnny Layton pick himself up off and, the page. And now
1: Johnny has started a trend. Now we are now getting stories from our listeners. Please yeah. send more of them in. Info yeah. at sloggingit.co.uk.
0: That's the one. Um, yeah, cricket, and yeah. cricket and jokes, funny cricketing stories, They're just about stuff that you've seen on the cricket pitch or, you know, it, it can be about, you know, cricketers or whatever. Um, but, yeah, so that's it. Episode two, series three, done and dusted. Robbo, we hope, will be back and off his deathbed next week. Uh, but until mm-hmm. then, Huge, as always, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much to Mark Curtin again from the Tabs. Uh, from coming on to talk to us about the amazing amazing work that they do and how you guys can get involved and we can't wait to speak to you again next week ta-ta for now See you later